Brian and Wes, thank you so much for the invitation to come back. We go to some places and we have a great time, but we never hear from those people ever again. So, um, but that's okay. Over the years, we've learned that it's actually all about relationship anyway. It's not actually about a single meeting, right? And, um, and as much as this morning has been great, it's been good, um, I actually think being the church is really about doing life together than coming to a service. Hmm. Maybe I need to say that again. Okay, everybody's got their ears on, right? I think, I think being the body of Christ is more about doing life together than it is just attending a service. And so when we come on Sundays, which we, for most of us, if we're truthful, even though we want to be here and we're excited, it's a habit. Right? It's Sunday morning, we get up, we go to church. It's a good discipline, right? I think it's a good discipline. Don't stop coming on Sundays, please. However, I think that if we, we sometimes are satisfied with that alone and we don't do life together. And so much about what God has done through Jesus on the cross is about relationship. It's redemption is for reconciliation. He came to reveal the Father. And so if you just get a ticket to heaven in your back pocket, salvation, but you don't actually press into the Father's heart to know him and his love and have that relationship with him, then you've actually missed the the biggest part of why Jesus died on the cross. And so um, this is wonderful to be together, and this has been a wonderful, so far a wonderful morning. I hope hope the speaker's good. And... um, but it really, about being, being the body of Christ is the testimony of the Lord. Collectively, we are the testimony of God. We have our own individual testimonies, right? But yet, sometimes we just think of it just as that singular individual testimony. But collectively, we are the testimony of the Lord. And as we do life in Christ together, as we fellowship together Life is communion. It is breaking bread and drinking the cup together in Christ. And so, so much of what um, we're called to is actually being Christ's body in life on earth. And through our doing of life, we live a life that is so different from the world that the world wants to know what it is that we have, right? That's being a light on a hill, right? But we so often think of it as just a service or, or a course that we take or a Bible study that we do. The greatest revelation of the Father's love through Jesus by the Holy Spirit comes through us when we are in relationship with each other and we invite people into that relation in the world, into that relationship through Jesus' love. Amen? There you go. That, that, that made me feel better. Okay. <laughs> Got that out of the way. Next. Moving right along. Um, that was a beautiful song. The songs we sing are not worship. They're words on a screen until they become our words and they become an expression of our heart. And so you can sing all the songs that you want to about Jesus, but until those words are your words because they're authentic to your own experience, then they're just words. In fact, they're somebody else's words. Every musical person, you like singing anyway, you know, it, it kind of, it's, it's fun to do. But the reality is, it's not worship unto the Lord. 
It may be fun for you. It may be a worship time together, which is a, a singing of songs. But, but if worship, in fact, is something unto the Lord, um, I al- I've always said that if, if before you go into worship, you should ask the Lord what he thinks worship is. Let him remind us of what he considers to be worship, and he'll always, always, always tell you before it's ever expressed externally, it needs to be an internal reality, right? And so the first time, I don't mean to shock anybody here, but the first time I said as a Christian, born again at 23 or 24 when I came to the Lord, I used to remember that. I had the date written down as I get older now. I go, ah, back then, all those years ago. The first time I said, I love you to Jesus, I didn't love him. I wanted to love him. The idea of loving God seemed like the right thing to do, but when I actually said the words, I love you, Jesus. And later on that day, I got home, and I broke into tears because I realized I didn't love him. He was my savior. I had, in my mind, believed, which is good, Right? I had read the Gospels. I had, I had accepted that Jesus was the Son of God, born of the vir- conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, died on the cross for my sins, dead in the grave in the tomb. The third day he was raised from the dead. He ascended on high and now sits at the right hand of the Father, making inter- intercession for the church. But, you know, it actually took me years before I could sing a song that said, I love you, Jesus, and actually they were my words. So I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. This is my confession, not yours. But I believe that there there is a place that we come to where it's just more than, thanks for dying for me. (laughs) You know, thank you, Father, for sending your son. I was thankful for salvation, but I couldn't actually honestly say I was in love with Jesus like I'm in love with my wife or in the way that I love my kids. And so in those early days, my words were religious. But over time, as I kept seeking the Lord and found out that the heart of Jesus was to bring me into relationship with the Father, I got to a point, I'll never forget it, the first time I said, and it was a few years later, I said, I love you, Jesus. And I finally meant it. But it wasn't a concept anymore. It wasn't an intellectual um, embracing of an ideal that I was heading towards. It actually was a reality in my life, and I absolutely loved him. And so I just want to encourage you that wherever you are this morning in your walk with the Lord, that the the key to loving Jesus is found in being loved first. In fact, in order to come to Jesus, in order to be saved, in order to believe that he is Messiah, that he is your Messiah, he's your Savior, that he died for your sins, it requires two things, faith and repentance. Faith is a decision, right? You believe, but then you also decide that you're going to believe that this is true. I mean, it's usually not that complicated. I'm unpacking it a little bit here. But first of all, you repent uh, you believe, and then you repent. You, uh, and that needs to be genuine and sincere, right? There's no magic here, but without true, genuine, sincere repentance, faith is not activated. 
So you can know about Jesus, which is different from believing in Jesus. And so faith and repentance brings us into that place. But it's we, at that moment of salvation, which is so precious, it's, it's the start rather than the finish of the race, by the way, that you don't need to be intimate with God. We think that the minute, you come, the minute you're saved, you're intimate with the Father. I have found that not to be true. That intimacy comes out of relationship and you won't know the Father until first you're saved. Are you with me? Everybody tracking. It's really important. Why is it important? Because some of us have been in this thing for so long that we've kind of lost track of what's important and, and that as we present our faith to other people, we present something that happened maybe 30 years ago. The reality of his, of the reality of salvation is today in the reality of the, of the love of the Father. I got saved years ago, but my testimony today, even though it started all that time, the passion, the authenticity, the integrity, the light, the life, the energy, the magnetism of his presence in my life is a today thing rather than what happened 30 years ago. Everybody with me? Yeah. And so I'm just saying that to encourage you as a body, as, as, a, as a family, as a fellowship, is that it's so important that we understand that Jesus died on the cross so that we might be in relationship with the Father. And, and what's fantastic about this story is that Jesus went into heaven to, as the great, our great high priest to offer himself in the Holy of Holies, to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. So he goes up into heaven, right? Into the Holy of Holies and presents himself. But then that makes a way because he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to the Father. The Father then comes and dwells in us. Meaning that it's not we that go up into heaven and dwell with God in the heavenly places, but God makes us his kingdom, his dwelling place on earth, and now he comes and dwells in us. And so our testimony today is that we know the living God, right? I was talking to Manmeet yesterday about this and all the other religions he explored and, all, and none of those other religions, God talked to him. But when he came to Christ, all of a sudden he heard the voice of God. Some of you are looking at me like, you're crazy, God speaks? <laughs> yes, he does speak. It's more than our intellectual wisdom. He has given us wisdom. Some of us, a lot. A lot of other people, not so much. <laughs> but God does speak. And one of the languages of God that's been given to us is the language of the Spirit in prayer, which we will talk about the other day. So, I love you, Jesus. It's precious. It's wonderful. I love you, Jesus, but we don't have to rush the moment of telling him we love you. Because first, we need to be loved. Don't be in a rush to say, I love you, Jesus. I believe, I repent, but over time, something will come up, bubble out of you that's genuine and sincere and say, I really, really love you. Today, I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff. You ever go out for dinner and you just get the hors d'oeuvres? You ever do that? You don't go to the mains, you just have the, what do you call them, starters? Just call them. 
right? Appetizers, you know? Do you ever do that? Does, does anybody have a hand to put up? It, it really encourages me. It makes me know that you're, you're tracking with me here. Yes? So sometimes my wife and I go out and we have just the starters. And, and it's kind of fun because it's, it's like eating in Japan. You know, Japanese eating is you get a whole bunch of really little things together and they're all in their own little dishes. For people who don't like their food touching, it's beautiful. Potatoes over there, piece over there. Anyway, we go out and we have starters. We have starters, and so this morning I feel like what I'm going to bring is a whole bunch of starters rather than the mains, okay? Is that all right? So, there seems to be, there seems to be a, um, a competition right now in the body of Christ between spirit and truth. There seems to be a, a competition or a tension, perhaps, a conflict between those groups of people, movements, denominations whatever you want to say, that are full into the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And then the other group that says, oh, you know, you flaky, hyper-emotional, prophetic, Pentecostal, charismatic individuals, you know it's always about the Word. It's the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. And I don't know why there should be a competition between the Word and the Holy Spirit. I don't understand that because Jesus himself is the Word. Right? I don't understand that. And, uh, and I, just, I just feel that, that we've got to be sure that we are not taking sides in that. You know, it's, it's not rugby. You know, it's not, we watched it last night. How many stayed up and watched the rugby last night? I didn't. I finally went to bed. <laughs> but uh, it's not rugby. It's not like you're rooting for your team here, right? Right? Jesus said... To the woman at the well, the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit, the Holy Spirit, his spirit, God is spirit, and in truth, the word of God, living and active like a double-edged sword. Years ago, I was given a, um, I was in, in, inherited, which is an important word in terms of my story, with regard to my story, I inherited a grandfather clock. Interestingly enough, this grandfather clock came from my great-grandfather, and it was built in 1780. And so it was in the family farm for years and years and years back in the UK, a dairy farmer in in Essex, England. And uh, it sat there. I, I just... It just sat there in the dining room for all, or in the hallway all those years during World War I and World War II. That clock heard all the conversations, heard all the babies crying at night, the comings and the goings, the breakfasts, the lunch and the dinner. That clock was there observing it through from generation to generation, and I ended up inheriting that clock. But by the time it got to me in Canada, it was broken, badly maintained, in a box, most of the most of the clock is wood, right? So the, the box itself was broken and smashed. And the, 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 the clock itself, even though it was um, s- still one piece, needed a lot of love and attention, a lot of TLC. And I got this clock, and we, my dad had it in his basement. He brought it over from the UK, and he was saying, one day I'm going to fix that clock, and I'm, you're going to have it, boy. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, great. But my dad never fixed it. You know, the, to the point I got the clock, it, it was still like, it was junk. And so uh, Jane said, we should really do something with that clock. 
We should really do something with that clock. I said, okay, I'll look into it. So we looked into it. It was going to be to fix the, the furniture part of it, the wood part alone, was going to be $2,000. That was before we even started to deal with the, the gears and the, you know, all the innards of the clock. And a good clockmaker, I went in and talked. He said to do that alone was going to cost another two or $3,000. So, and we didn't have that kind of money, right? That kind of money went to the power bill, you know? And so, long story short, because I don't want to spend all morning talking, morning talking about this, somebody came in, they saw the clock sitting there in a box, and, and Jane had decided at least to clean the face of the clock, which was brass, and so when it was polished up, it was beautiful. It was just striking. Still didn't work. Somebody walked in, saw it, and said, what's this? And said, oh, it's Mar Mark's clock that he inherited, but we're going to throw it out or do something or give it away because we don't have enough money to fix it. They said, oh, you can't do that. I'll give you the money. He said, you, you don't know how much it is. So we told the person how much it was, and they said, I'll write you a check right now. But it, you see, it was something that God was trying to say to me about my inheritance. That's what he was trying to say. Something that was held back from me. Something that was broken. Something that was cut off. He wanted to restore so that for, my, for me and my generation, we could receive the fullness of the inheritance and then I can pass it on to the next generation. And finally, when it was restored, I mean, it was a huge, it was huge. I mean, when the clock came back in through the door, when it was finally fixed, it just wept. Because it wasn't about a clock. You know, you can go out and buy a clock if you want to. But this was something about restoration in my family line. And now it was time for me to receive a true inheritance. Not wait to die and get to heaven to receive it, but to start to receive it now. And I believe for everyone in this room, there's something perhaps in your life that's been cut off or broken or held back. And what the Father wants to do through Jesus is restore, 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 so you can receive the fullness of the inheritance now. Now. So, I'm telling you all that to tell you this. Inside that clock, you open up the big door, and there is a pendulum, right? There's a pendulum. That's how those old clocks went. Not a battery, a pendulum, right? You know, it wasn't digital. It was analog back in those days. And heavy, heavy weights. Each weight was like 25 pounds hanging off of the chains and a big key that was like this big. And the weights would slowly go up like this. But the pendulum inside swings. You know, the first night we got that clock in the house, we stayed up all night. Every hour it went bing, 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 bing. We said, ah, we got to turn off that clock. It's driving me nuts. We did it one night, but, we, but because it was such an old clock, to get it reset back up to proper time was such an ordeal. We just said, no, we've got to get used to the sound of the clarion voice. We have to get, you know, sometimes God's voice is inconvenient. The voice of the Spirit is inconvenient, and it keeps us up at night. Hello. Ever been called to the night watch? You know, get up now and pray, but I don't want to. I want to stay in bed. It's inconvenient. It may not be a night. It may be a season in your life when you'd rather be asleep. You'd rather slumber than be awake to what the Spirit of God is saying. And so this 
sound of this clock was like a clarion call, and it was calling us to wakefulness. Eventually, we became used to the sound so we could sleep through it. But oddly enough, every once in a while, we'd forget to wind the clock, and the clock would stop, and then the lack of his voice would wake us up. The lack of the voice, the clarion voice would be the thing we would miss. And it would wake us up and we'd say, we need, we need to get the clock back on, on time and wound up and moving so that we can feel in harmony with the sound of it in our house. And so it is with God. We need to be so attuned to his voice that when he stops talking, it wakes us up out of our slumber and say, we need to be awake and press into God right now. It's about his time. It's about a rhema word. We love the, the logos word, but it's also about the rhema word, his voice, who is precious. And that's why we need to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. The pendulum needs to constantly be swinging in order for the clock to be working, Right? What happens when a pendulum swings, just before it swings back, it has this moment where it stops completely. It's not actually stopped. It's just finishing its cycle before it moves back again. It's like a pause. It's not a stop. It's like when you turn a hard corner, you always break before you turn a hard corner. If it's nice and gentle and rounded, you can slow down a little bit. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to do a whole 90 degrees, you got, you got to stop as you come into the corner. Maybe, maybe not stop completely, but almost, and then you turn the corner, and then you accelerate out of it, right? And so when the pendulum goes like this, it gets to this point, it's not really a stop, it's just a momentary pause, and the pause is just so it then can go back the other way. If this is the word over here, if this swing of the pendulum is the word over here, and if over here is... This swing of the pendulum is the Holy Spirit. And if we absolutely insist for a balance between the Spirit and the Word, then the pendulum will be down here and time will stop. If you insist for a total balance of the Word and the Spirit all the time, then what you're doing is getting in the way of the natural rhythm between the Spirit and the Word. We need both. We need the full swing of the pendulum. The pendulum stops. We stop going forward in God. When we insist, when we insist that it is either one or the other, we stop going forward in God. When we insist that there's a perfect balance, when our goal is perfect balance, we stop going forward in God. It is a dance. It is a flow. I like to call it, it's a cocktail. Bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of that, two parts of that, cherry on top, look, 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 look. You see, it's a ratio, it's a relationship, it's dynamic, it's not static. We need both. We need to be filled overflowing with the Holy Spirit all the time, all the time, all the time, continually, ongoing, filled with his presence. But at the same time, we need his word. We need the word of God. We need the Logos word. We need the Rhema word. We need the word of God. But is it it always 50-50? 
in every season, in every moment? No. And therefore, we need to know the times and the seasons. We need to know the season we're in. And I believe this house is hearing from the Lord right now, this is a season to be filled with the Spirit. This is a season to, 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 to get back into that place if, if you've been out of it. It's like saying it's time, everybody in the shower today. We're all going to have a big shower. It's, what, together? Ooh, that's, that's, that's weird. It's time to get back under or into the river. It's, that's time, but it doesn't mean you're out of balance. As long as the pendulum, you don't stop the pendulum, it's eventually going to swing. And it does that with regularity. So don't be frightened. If the word comes, it's time. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to speak in tongues. We need to be in his presence. Understand that it's not the stopping of the pendulum. or the. Or, or it's rather understanding that this is a time that the pendulum is coming up here. And, and until it gets to that moment of pause and starts to swing back, this is the season you're in. So, is there a balance? Absolutely. Does it look like stopping the pendulum in the middle? No, not at all. So, how did you like that hors d'oeuvre? Next? Okay. Why don't we all stand up for a second here? See, I want to take a drink of water, and I hate people staring at me when I do. So, turn to the person beside you and say, have a good day. Be blessed. I love you so much. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Okay, everybody take a seat. Look what I just figured. This thing is almost done. Like if you go like that, it goes... Psalm 124, verse 7, speaks about the fowler's snare and that we have been set free. One of the things that Jesus, one of his mandates in coming to earth was to set us free. Is that right? Am I imagining that? It's hard to be set free when you didn't know you were a captive. <laughs> Jesus, I'm so glad you came to set people free, but I'm okay. I'm already free. I'm a surfer. All surfers are free, right? Long hair at the beach. Motorcycle people, they're free. I'm liberated, right? We have, we have descriptions of freedom, but the reality is Jesus came to set everybody free. I'm an intellectual. I'm, I, I, my mind is freed, you know? Back in the 60s, take some LSD. I am free, you know? It doesn't matter what, whether you think that you're free living or have a free lifestyle or you're, you're culturally free. The reality is Jesus came to die on the cross to set us all free from, from our sin, judgment, death, from the devil, hell, and damnation. Can you say that word here, hell? Do we talk about hell anymore? Oh, we talk, Jimmy, do we talk about hell anymore? Oh, Came to set us free. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. What's the goal? 
Freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's one thing for him to come and unlock the jail cell, but if we choose to stay in a jail cell that's been unlocked, we're not free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We have to appropriate and we have to embrace. We have to engage with the freedom in order to benefit from the freedom that he has bought by his own life to set us free. And so... He has come. He is our deliverer, right? Moses, do you remember Moses? Do we talk about Moses anymore? Moses, he was a Christ. He was a Christ type. He was a Christ, a Messiah. Uh, He was foreshadowing the Messiah. He was was, uh, the Hebrews' deliverer, right? And so... He, as he was called to, uh, to be the deliverer of God's people out of Egypt and to deliver God's message to Pharaoh, set my people free. Let my people go. So Jesus has come directly to the earth now as the true deliverer, as the ultimate Messiah, to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Somebody say Hallelujah. It's Sunday morning. If we don't say hallelujah once on Sunday morning, it's not a legitimate Sunday morning service. Okay. Did anybody bring their tambourine today? No? Okay. Thank God. Oh, just there. I think there should be a big sign outside. No tambourines allowed. I only smoke when I pray. Hallelujah. Jesus has come to set us free, the fowler's snare. We've been set free from the the fowler's snare. And fowler is kind of, there's a pun there, right? Because the word is fowl like chicken and goose and, you know, fowl. But it's also, you can be fouled up, right? You can be fouled up by sin, fouled up by life, fouled up by, by the things that happen. And he comes to set us free from all that has fouled us. I have found in every truth, there's an opposite truth. I believe that as much as Jesus has come to set us free, he has also come to entrap us. As much as he has come to set us free, he's come to entrap us, to contain us with his love. He contains us in a safe place. He contains us in his destiny and purpose. He contains us by a life that's far better than any life we could pick or choose for ourselves. And you see, if we don't understand that, then we'll understand freedom is a license to do whatever we want. And if we're not careful, it leads us back into rebellion, which is an independent spirit. You may never get tattoos and you may never get piercings and you may never, you know, smoke dope. You may never do that. That's not the kind of rebellion I'm talking about because hopefully we gave, gave that past life away, you know, um, sexual freedom and all that kind of stuff. But there is, within the body of Christ, a temptation to think, now that I'm free, it's given me a license to do whatever I want to do with my life. It's like the whole thing of tithing that's been twisted over the years. You put your 10% in the offering plate, if you do, and you think that the 90% that's left belongs to you. But doesn't it all come from God? Shouldn't you be praying about all of your money? 
Shouldn't you be asking God with all your resources, with your marriage, with your children? Shouldn't you be saying, everything I have has come from you, O God. And therefore, everything that has been given to me, I offer back to you so that you can be glorified through my life. See? And so, and this, this all ties with back to the thing of saying, I love you, Lord. He entraps us. He wants to bring us to that place of containment so that our lives are kept in that place of his heart that we might, during our days on earth, walk in the destiny and purpose of God for his glory. You know, if all you have, whether it was yesterday or 30 years ago, like some of us, if all you have is a ticket to heaven in your back pocket because you said, I believe in you, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. You know, I receive your forgiveness now in Jesus' name. I am born again. If that's all that you have, if you kind of stopped after that, you go to church on Sunday for an hour, you drop your 10% into the plate like so many people do, and that's okay. Please don't stop doing that. But if you think then that the freedom that he's bought you is for you to go and just live the life that you have in mind, then you're missing out. Because I have found out that always, not sometimes, but any idea that I have or plan that I have for my life is never as good as the idea that he has for me. His provision is always better than the provision that I can bring for myself. And it's far more exciting. Right. Even though I wait to 1159 for it to come. (laughs) Anybody been there? Know that? Done that? Got the t-shirt? Why does God wait to 1159? Well, the answer is simple because he wants to know whether when we say, I trust you, Lord, whether we really do or not. Oh, God, I trust you. You know, don't say that on your good days. (laughs) It's easy to say, God, I love you. I trust you on your good days. It's on your bad days that that gets tested. Right? Oh, I've got the peace that passes all understanding. It, It, you know, it transcends the circumstances of my life. That's great on a good day, but wait until everything goes sideways. You still have peace. You know, I think it's a powerful testimony to the world when things do go wrong in Christians' life that they still demonstrate joy and peace. That is a true testimony. That is a true testimony. And you won't know that joy and that peace unless you've cultivated a relationship in the good times. The joy and the peace in bad times doesn't come in bad times. It comes because you've cultivated it in the good times. It's like the anointing comes, doesn't come when you get on the platform and somebody hands a microphone in your hand. The anointing comes because you've spent six months in the cave. Just crying out to the Lord. You, in prayer, in your Bible, and the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden, six months later, he says, I want you to go there and preach a message. And boom, the anointing of the Spirit comes. Did it come because the guy at the back turned on the microphone? Well, it actually helps. Don't turn it off. It doesn't come in that moment. It came in the six months in the cave. So, Jesus has come to set us free. It's for freedom that he has set us free. Today is a day of freedom. 
That freedom is not a license for us to then live our lives the way we choose, marry who we choose. I actually believe that, but some of you are hearing it the wrong way, so just don't forget about that. We'll talk about that later. Isn't, isn't it great that God is a God of grace and mercy and love? Right. I love the Holy Spirit. I love signs and wonders and miracles. I love power evangelism. I love God doing stuff, but sometimes it, we just have to say that his love, mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, you know, they don't sound very powerful, do they? Do they? Do they? We like sensationalism. That's the world we live in. Social media and everything's happening fast in real time. You know, the stuff that's sensational is the stuff that gets to the news. Love, mercy, and grace doesn't often get the first, you know, it's, it's not the first thing we talk about. We say, well, that was incredible. That lady had no leg and it just grew right out of her ear like that. Sensational, right? And that, that's what God, you know, Jesus did all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. I think it's Matthew 11, maybe 12, where he says to those cities that he did his greatest signs, wonders, and miracles. He say, woe to you that I did the greatest of my signs and wonders and miracles in your city and you did not repent. You know, signs and wonders and miracles of the kingdom are to cause those who don't believe to be confronted with the true and living God that they might repent. Not for us to be entertained. And that's why for me, particularly, signs and wonders and miracles are always linked to evangelism. Right? Why do we often try to practice signs and, wonder and mir- signs and wonders and miracles in the context of those who believe? And then we complain that we don't see too many healings anymore. Maybe we're practicing it on the wrong people. Now, it doesn't mean we can't pray for healing, right? God, our Father, loves us. He delights in us. And in fact, you know what? If you don't know this, because some of you are holding back, you know, I was so self-sufficient in my past life that I asked God for nothing unless I absolutely had to. And then I would just say, I really don't need this, but if you could give me an extra 10 bucks, Dad. I was so self-sufficient I actually was proud that I could say to God, you don't need to give me anything like those other losers. <laughs> and I was a Christian. I was a Christian. You know, what I love to say to people now is if you come to the banqueting table of the Lord, leave your picnic basket at home. Right? Oh, it's okay, God, you don't have to look after me. Look after those poor people over there. But um, you know what? We're just, I'm just looking after my family, so well, we don't need your help. Signs and wonders and miracles. God loves his kids. He loves it when we say, Father, give me bread. He loves it. He loves that we ask, right? Most of us are trying not to ask. Sorry, I didn't mean to bother you, but could I just have a moment with you? Got a moment, God. I hate to disturb you. I know you love Ken more than me. He needs more help, though. So I understand why you spend all your time with him rather than me. That's okay. He loves it. He loves it. Father God loves it when we ask him for things. 
That's before he even gives us anything. He loves it. Hello, are you getting this? You've got to really hear this. This is my whole message. I've spent hours working on this one. Come on. If this goes down, we're all going down. It's like the reliving of the Titanic. All right? Are you asking God for things? Are you? Well, then you need to know this. Every time you ask God for something, he loves the fact that you've asked. Second of all, he wants to give you good things. Thirdly, he wants to give according to his will, as Jesus said. Anything you ask according to my Father's will, you will receive. And so then the question then goes to, what are you asking for? I need a new cell phone. I need a new car. I need a new... You know what? I don't want to get fussy about this. But God will often give us things to encourage our hearts, but he waiting for us to start to ask according to his will. And I'm going to end with this. I'm going to be a really good boy this morning. Sunday mornings, you know what? I learned long ago. I learned, a, no, no, I did not learn this long ago. It's taken me my whole life to learn this. Sunday mornings, it's rare that on Sunday morning there is a move of God that lasts for three years. It's rare that it happens on a Sunday morning. I'll tell you why. Because Sunday mornings are about dedications. They're about baptisms. They're about uh, missionary reports. They're about notices. They're about having a worship time. They're about, you know, special, you know, the cantata at Christmas. They're about this. And, you know, in my younger years, especially once I started itinerating and traveling and preaching like I do, I used to hate that. I'd get invited on a Sunday morning, like, and I'd sit on the front row, Role like today, and I think, why don't these people stop doing this stuff and let me speak? <laughs> you know, like I've come all this way with this really message that's going to just change their lives forever. Why don't they postpone all this stuff and let me get up there? I'm glad you're laughing because it, it's kind of funny, but I really, it's also honest. I felt that way. But you know, over the years, as my wife has helped me to mature, I've come to realize that that's what Sundays are for, and it's okay. It's actually okay, unless God interrupts it, not me. And occasionally he interrupts it. But historically, and I've done a little research, most moves of God were not started on a Sunday morning in a Sunday morning service. Note to self. Always be willing. Hold on lightly to your agenda. But don't try to fill in the blanks for Jesus. The worst thing you can do is pretend that you're having revival when you're not, right? Get on with the stuff of the house. And if it's with a towel on one arm and a basin washing feet on the other, then that's a good day. And the Lord will come. As long as in your heart you are hungry and thirsty for him to come, he will, he's not, he's not going to let you get in the way. You know, when, if he's decided this is the day, I'm going to break loose, he's going to do that. You've gotta, but you've got to make sure in your heart that you're willing and you hold on lightly to what he's called you to do. And so finally, I am going to finish right now on time because I respect the house and there's yet another meeting tonight, right? So please come back, bring your friends, uh, leave your chickens at home. I think there'll be enough food. No, I don't. Let's just stand up, shall we? Thank you.
Let's lift our hearts to him. Think of your hands as your heart. When we lift them high over our heads, that's worship. But when we're about to get something like little kids, we put them out. Now, when the lollies are handed out, the kids just say, gimme, gimme, gimme. So why don't you say, gimme, 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 God? He loves a hungry heart. That seems silly to some of you. It's okay, you don't have to do it. But it's just, I find it helpful. Father, you're so good. You delight in your kids. You love us. We ask you for bread. You don't give us a stone. We ask you for fish. You don't give us a snake. And even in the asking, you delight in us. And in the giving, you delight in us. Father, today, I pray through Jesus that you would make your love known to our hearts once again. And it's okay today if we can't say, I love you with a full heart, but it doesn't stop you from saying, I love you so much, I delight in you. For some of you today, you need to hear the Father's voice one more time saying, you are are my treasured possession. You, especially the men here, the ladies get this really fast, but some of you men didn't know the love of a father and you're still struggling in sonship. You have biological children, but you function as, as a, in a high-functioning orphan spirit. And God wants to just come beside you today and say, I love you so much. I delight in you, my son. I am so proud of you. If that's you today, just begin to receive it. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, pour out your love. And to the ladies here, you are his treasured possession. He delights in his daughters. When he comes, he draws close. He never robs, steals, or destroys. He never takes from you anything unless you offer it to him. He pours out upon you his love, his purity, his righteousness, his beauty, his fragrance, a perfume of the Lord. Father, today, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us on the cross so that you would make yourself known to us. Holy Spirit, come right now. That's what we want more than anything else is the indwelling presence of the Most High God. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us once again. Awaken our hearts, awaken our awareness, quicken our mortal bodies to your presence right now. This is the house of the Lord. We are your dwelling place on earth. This is heaven, for heaven is now in our hearts. Bring us to that place, Father, where we can lay hold of the freedom that you've made available to us. And that your freedom would bring us into that place of destiny and purpose for this place, for this city, for this nation, and for the nations and the peoples, tribes and tongues around the earth, for that's your heart. Father, align ourselves today with your heart and your mind. Let our hearts receive a revelation of your spirit today so that our minds 
might be informed and therefore transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.